this morning, during the summer, we've taken five weeks to focus on spiritual practices. All right? And, and we've, we've been doing that. We've been going, going through that. And today, we're going to continue in that. We're in week three of this series in spiritual practices. And at the, on the very first week, what I told you was, part of the reason that I wanted to set aside this time to talk about spiritual practices, for one, they don't always come up really obviously in Scripture. Uh, so, for instance, you see we're, maybe we're in a gospel and we're talking about the life of Jesus. And there will be a little side note in there that says, and Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. And then more action happens, right? And so when you go through the gospel, a lot of times you just jump on from one action to the next action instead of saying, let's talk about prayer. Let's talk about getting out in solitude. Let's talk about what Jesus actually did when he was praying. You know, and so what we wanted to do is take a moment to say, hey, let's look at some of these spiritual practices, practices that we see in the life of Jesus, and study them a little more deeply and look at the whole of Scripture and what it has to say about it. And one of the things that I told you about spiritual practices is that they have the power to change you. They have the power to change you. Spiritual practices are God's tools for us. He's the one that does all the actual change. He is the power source of, of all of that. But he gives us these tools that he uses to bring life and growth to us. The tools help cultivate our spiritual lives and cultivate our hearts. And I also told you this about spiritual practices. They sometimes seem really basic, but they're actually, I told you, don't look at them as basic. Look at them as foundational. Right? Because these are foundational for the person who wants to grow with God. And as I said, Jesus himself practiced these things and he left us an example to follow. So, so far we've looked at Bible study and meditation. Last week we looked at prayer and fasting. And for the next three weeks as we finish the series, we're going to look at three aspects of worship. Okay? Because worship is a spiritual practice. That's maybe the easiest one of all to think about as a spiritual practice. When you worship, you're practicing a, a spiritual activity. But what is worship? The first thing to know about worship is, worship is about what we love. Worship and love are tied together. We worship what we love. Worship is about what we live for. What gets us out of bed in the morning? What brings joy to our hearts? What we, what we love? And the act of worship is expressing that love to the object we worship. So from a very simplistic definition of worship, worship, even where we get that word worship, it actually comes from an old English word, um, worth-ship. What originally it meant was it was ascribing worth to something that is worthy of honor. All right? It's, it's we're saying that has worth. That has value. I will worship that thing. Worship is ascribing worth to God. And worship is directly, directly declaring his glory, his power, his majesty, his beauty, and his honor. That is what worship is. It's, it's ascribing worth to the almighty God. Now, you've heard it said 
that humans were made to worship. Sometimes you hear that in churches. Oh, we're, just, we're made to worship and we can't help it. It's, it's in our instinct. It's in who we are. And that's true. But when we worship anything other than God, it's called idolatry. It's called idolatry. And I think a lot of times in modern times when we think about idol worship, uh, that seems like ancient. It seems like something that some little you know, tribe in the middle of a jungle somewhere does. They, they, they carve these little wooden statues or something and they worship those and that's what idolatry is. But the, the basic understanding what idolatry is, is it's, it's a misplaced worship. It's worshiping anything other than God. And as you think about that in your life, you realize, oh, people do worship lots of things that aren't God. People invest their lives toward something. They show their love to something. They, they sacrifice all sorts of things to something that's not God. And it's, it, it is worship. It's a t- form of worship. But really, to accurately label that, it's idolatry. Idolatry is misplaced worship. Do you know what the first commandment of the Ten Commandments is? I told you I was at camp this week with the kids. And, and um, sometimes students like to try to, to do the, hey, let's stump our pastor kind of thing. You know, some Bible question. Well, how, do you, what, do you, what about this? You know? And so a couple of the students came up to me and, and wanted to stump me, and they won. They did it, okay? Because what they said was, hey, pastor, can you, mention, can you name all the Ten Commandments? And I'm like, yeah, I can name all the Ten Commandments, and I'm getting ready to start. And they're like, but can you name them in order? And I'm like, well, actually, no, I'd probably confuse a couple of them. Now, I, I could tell them, hey, but I know where I can find the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. All right, that's in my head. But I never, like, memorize them in order. And I know some of you are thinking, well, there's a song. Of course there is. I'm sure there is, right? But I don't know the song. I don't know them in order, okay? It's not hard to stump this pastor, all right? So I'll just tell you that right off the bat. But I do know what the first commandment is. Do you guys know what the first commandment is? I won't give you time to, to look it up. The, the first commandment of the Ten Commandments is God said, you shall have no other gods before me. Right after that, he follows up with it, and you're not going to have any carved idols out of wood or stone, right? That's, that's number one. He says, you'll have no idols that you worship that are before me. Because the reason we had to give that commandment right off the top was he knows that this is what we tend to do as people. We tend to want to put things in the place of God in our lives and say, this is what matters more than anything else. And many times, guys, we have to recognize this. Many times the things that we want to idolize are good things. Good things can get in the way and be elevated to the place of honor that that only God should have. That's the way it, it is. Nothing is to be before him. Nothing else should get our worship. That's why Jesus said in the New Testament, he said the greatest commandment when somebody asked, they said, so, so, so Jesus, teacher, tell us of all the commandments. And the, the Jews went through and they pulled out all these rules and regulations from the Old Testament law and the prophets. Of all those things, what's the greatest? Do you remember what Jesus said? What Jesus said, he said, the first and greatest commandment is this, that you would love, you offer worship, you would love the Lord your God 
with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, with your whole being, that that would be the main thing, that our love, that our worship would be toward God alone with all we are. Now, there are many ways that we can express that love in worship. Worship has many forms. I, I've heard it sometimes described, I've heard this in church too, that, that worship is a way of life, all right? So that we're supposed to be constantly worshiping. All right? And to a degree, that, that's true. Um, we can honor God indirectly by the way that we treat other people with kindness and respect, or the way that we conduct business with, with integrity um, and, and that sort of a thing. That Yes, we can be worshipful in that, but that sort of an idea of worship, I want us to kind of set off to the side. It, that's kind of like, um, you know, where Paul in the Bible talks about praying without ceasing, all right? Where he's talking about a prayerful life, where you're constantly in connection and communication with the Father and you're you're constantly laying things out before God. But that doesn't mean that you're verbally praying nonstop. That's not what he's talking about. And it's the same thing with worship. We can say, well, I want to be worshipful all the time, all the time. I'm always an act of worship. I'm always keeping God where he belongs. That's good. But what I want to talk about is direct worship. Or if, if we were talking about prayer, it's setting aside time to pray. And, and making that effort, all right? Worship is to be a direct expression of love, and that's what I want to focus on. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to look at three different ways that we can directly worship God. And the first one is the one that might have even come to your mind when I said we were going to study worship. The first one is worship through music. Worship through music. And, and I start here because in the past 50 years or so, the word worship has become synonymous with music. Okay? The person who leads the, the music at a church service is often called a worship leader. Right? When we start or end a service, a lot of times in church, we usually refer to, uh, when we start or end it with music, we usually refer to that as a time of worship, right? We'll say, hey, yeah, we'll gather together, we'll have a time of worship, and then we'll hear a message, okay? Now, I, I don't want to dis- distinguish all of those, but that's just, that's part of what, what's going on. But, but that can sometimes get a little bit misleading. That can be a little m- bit misleading. I, I'm not a huge stickler for that. It's not that I correct people or have a big problem with that language of calling the music in a service worship. It is. It is. But it can be a little misleading. A person might be able to lead in music, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're leading others into worship. Okay? Think about that. I want to get, you get, get your brain around that. James this morning could have got up here and led us in some songs even songs that talk about God, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he led others in worship. There's a difference here. A worship song could have been written with the intent of being used for worship, but singing it doesn't equal worship. Keep following me here on this. It's not a lack of physical musical skill Worship 
is a spiritual practice. All right? And you can sing the words. You can clap your hands. You can do whatever you want to do when you hear worship music. But if you're not engaging at a spiritual level, you're actually not worshiping. You're actually just following along with some music. What's the difference between that and what you hear on the radio? There's a difference here. It's, it's not the lack of the skill. It's a spiritual practice. A worship leader leads people to worship. That is to express their love, their adoration, and devotion to God. So, so worship is not music, but music is meant to be a vehicle for worship. Okay? Uh, let me give you a perfect example here. I'm already feeling it this morning. We have an air conditioner in this building. <laughs> all right? It's, it's those big, white, empty things. All right? It's broken. Trust us. We've been talking with the, the city all about it. Okay? We've been going back and forth on this. We have an air conditioner here at Salt Creek. But if the air conditioner is not running, it's not actually an air conditioner, right? <laughs> it doesn't feel like an air conditioner to me right now. It's just sitting up there. Music is a vehicle for worship. It can be right there in front of you. It can be a team of people leading these songs. But until it actually does what it's supposed to be doing, it's different. It's just music until people begin to worship. Now it's worship music. Now we're actually worshiping. So music doesn't equal worship but it's meant to carry us there. Now, I would argue that that's even why God created music in the first place. If you wondered where music came from, it's part of the creation. God did it, but we don't have time to talk about that today, all right? My focus on this series on spiritual practices is I want to identify a practice, and then I want to teach you how to do it. And so that's what I'm going to try to stay focused on. I want to expand your understanding of musical worship as a spiritual practice and hopefully inspire you to engage with it and immerse yourself in it. Some of that language is on purpose. And if you've been around here long enough, you would, you would know that. And you know why. The spiritual practices, we've talked about this from the beginning. Spiritual practices are meant to give us an abundant life overflowing lives and worship with music is no exception that's what it's supposed to do musical worship is meant and i'm going to quote one of my my favorite worship leaders matt redman uh, he described it this way he says worship is to be a way for the people of god to declare the praises of god in the presence of god all right a way for the people of god let's see it again people of God to declare the praises of God in the presence of God. That's what worship is, musical worship is supposed to do. Now, I'm going to say something here that is hard for me to say, okay? And I want you to just stick with me on it. But I, I need to say it. Many of us in this church do not know how to worship God with music, through music, okay? And I don't say that to offend you or to hurt you. I say that because I love you. 
And, and, and I want us as a church to be able to grow in that way. Now, I'm not saying you don't love God. I'm not saying that you're not saved. Uh, none of those things. I'm just saying that this particular spiritual tool isn't in your toolbox, all right? And it can be, and it should be. And for others of you, for some of you, you're like, yeah, I've got that tool, but it it hasn't been used in so long that it's a little bit rusty, (laughs) okay? Uh, And and there's the other other group of us that, that might have that tool, but it's just kind of hit and miss. We're kind of sporadic, and we need to learn to worship more frequently with, with that. So, so let's talk a little more about that. What I've seen in my life is that often the people that struggle most with worshiping through music are those that have been in church for the longest period of time. Now, I'm not saying it's just old people that have a problem with this, I'm just saying people that have been so accustomed to coming to church for the bulk of their lives that they're used to it. It becomes so common and regular and it's just part of your structure and part of your routine in the week. You're used to it. That what happens is worship with music just becomes a ritual rather than an engaged practice. Okay, I, when I was a little kid, I was raised in a traditional church that had hymnals. Okay, some of you, anybody heard of a hymnal before? There's a, there's a few, okay. A hymnal is a book, all right? And, and a lot of times they were like as big as the Bible, <laughs> almost. And it's a book of songs. And it would be a book of songs that the church, a particular church, was used to singing. In fact, the way it would be is you'd have this big old book, and you're like, does everybody know all these songs? No way! They know like 15 of them. All right, And they know those 15 so well, in and out, that they memorize the page number on those things. We used to have a Sunday night service um, where my dad was, was pastoring, and he would um, he'd take basically song requests, okay? I'd be like, what do we want to sing? People wouldn't use the title. They'd be like the number, 114. And they'd be like, oh yeah, here we go. How firm a foundation, you know? And, and, and everybody knows, and they'd know the words. That's how you'd see the visitors. It'd be the people grabbing the, flipping through, like, what page, what's that song? Everybody else is like, I know this from start to finish, right? But here's what happens with that. You can become so familiar with it that it no longer moves you anymore. It's just like, yeah, I sing that song. I know that verse. I can quote it without even thinking about it. And I just go through the motion. I go through the action. This is the part where they do the key change. Bum, bum. And here we go again. And that's, that's the way it works, okay? But any practice, any spiritual practice, whether this is prayer, whether this is reading the Bible, whether this is Sabbath, what any practice can be reduced to just ritual. I, I think I've told you about this. I went to a, um, a, a Catholic funeral mass not too long ago. And a, a Catholic, if, you've, if you were raised in the Catholic church, Catholic background, it's loaded with ritual. And the people that are, are devout Catholics, they know when to stand, when to sit, when to kneel, what to say, how to respond. They go through the things, right? And it's just bang, 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 bang. They know what's happening there. But any practice can be reduced to ritual. And I'm not saying that we need to throw away all rituals or all traditions. That's not what I'm talking about. But what we have to remember is we have to engage. We have to connect with the practice. We can't let it go on to autopilot or we're actually no longer worshiping. The practices 
aren't meant to be rules. They're meant to be sources of refreshment and renewal. These practices are meant to do something in your heart. To do something. When you come to a church service and to a place of worship, to worship, you are supposed to be affected. You're supposed to be impacted. You're supposed to be changed. You're not coming to a movie to watch a show. You're supposed to be engaging. And no matter where we are, whether you're like, oh, church is all about the music for me, or I could do without the church, whatever, or without the music of church, no matter where we are, we're all, we all have the ability to grow in this practice. And I believe that this practice specifically will add vibrancy to the life of our church. If you've been to a church before, a worshiping church that worships with music, you know there's a sense of vibrancy, life in that church. On the flip side, you can go to churches where it's like, it's just quiet and dead and still and there's some lady playing the organ and they play through the songs and it's just like, it's crickets out here. What's going on? Musical worship is not new, all right? Musical worship is not new. Singing is mentioned 400 times in the Bible. 400 times in the Bible. Jesus worshiped with music. Uh, In Matthew 26, we find that after the Last Supper, right, the last day of Jesus' life, we see there in Matthew 26 that he led the disciples in a hymn, in a song. Before they went out to the Mount of Olives and all the things, all the the events happened leading up to the cross, Jesus was worshiping the Father with music. From the earliest history of God's people, the Israelites, God's people, we see music used in their worship. The book of Psalms in the Bible is a songbook. We have 150, we have a mini hymnal in the book, in the Bible. 150 of these songs for use in worship. Did you know that 41 of those psalms command us to sing to the Lord? Singing, using music for worship isn't optional. Scripture commands it. I'm going to read to you an entire psalm, Psalm 150, the very last one. It's very short, don't worry. Here's what it says. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. That's at church. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Now you might be like, well, yeah, I can praise. It doesn't have anything to do with music. Oh, you wait. Here it is. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. A lute is a musical instrument, kind of like a mandolin. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Watch out. Praise him with strings and pipe. There's our piano and organs right there. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Oh, just wait. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. That's the drummer's favorite verse in the Bible. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you see what's, amen. That's a worship leader. You see what's being described? This praise, this, this music that's filling the, the worship service. In the New Testament, you might be like, well, that's Old Testament. What do, I'm a New Testament Christian. Okay. Paul gives us a beautiful directive for a church gathering. 
There's two things that he mentions specifically here in Colossians 3.16. The first thing he says is, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The book. Get to it. Get to the word. But he doesn't stop there, guys. What else does he say? He says, And singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Music belongs in a worship service. And here's what you find a lot of times in churches. You find two extremes. You find the people that are like, listen, Brett, I, I like you and all, but I just wish you'd shut up. You talk a lot, way too much. It'd be so much better if we just shrink that message a little bit and add some more music. And you're like, you know what? If we did like at least 50-50, if not like 70-30, then we're in a church service, right? Just more music. Give it to me. Let me feel it. I want to praise God. And you keep up there talking. Then you got the other people that are like, I, I mean, I know the intro music's important and stuff. And it's like something to help us walk out on the end of the day. But let's just push them to the end and get to the word. Preach the book. Like, that's what, we, that's what we're here for. That's what I need to learn. That's what I need to, to study and understand. I want to fill my head with God's word. Guys, we need both. We're supposed to have both. This comes back to that, that, that uh, verse, that Jesus that we talked about, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, all of you, everything about you. And one of the primary reasons that God gave us music for worship is that it connects our heads and our hearts. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes we can get very disconnected from one or the other. Some of you live in your head, and the world is a, 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 a problem for you to solve and comprehend and understand. And others of you, you live in your heart. And it's just, how do I feel? What do I feel? What is my emotion now? What about now? And that's where you stay. But we're not called to be one or the other. We're both. We're, we're to be an integrated human being that, that expresses worship in both ways, with our minds, but with our hearts, with our souls. And that's the interesting thing about music. It doesn't just make us think. It makes us feel Music makes us feel. Our emotions are impacted by music. It's why soundtracks matter so much in movies. You could have a great movie with a terrible soundtrack, and you're just like, the thing's lame. You can have a mediocre movie with a great soundtrack, you're like, I don't know. I, I didn't really understand the plot at all, but I really felt something. <laughs> it's because the music has moved you. It's why storytelling is enhanced with musical theater. M music moves us. Uh, in fact, um, in, her, in Elena Mann's, her, her book, The Power of Music, she says, music stimulates more part of the brain than any other human function. Isn't that fascinating? When they study the human brain, music affects more parts of the brain, individual, I don't know if you know this, but your brain isn't just one thing, it's all these little mechanisms, right? All these parts that we've studied and discovered that this is how God wired us. Music affects us more than any other human activity. More than sleep, more than eating, more than thinking or reading. Music impacts more parts of the brain than any other human function. Again, remember what I said with Jesus. Heart, soul, mind, strength, everything, all about you. Music can tie all those things together. 
When questioned about the proper place to worship, Jesus told a Samaritan woman this in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. It's very interesting. He said, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, I'm not going to completely exegete this text. There's a lot in that. But part of what Jesus is describing there is that people would worship with their whole being. Spirit and truth. The Bible teaches us that we're now temples of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells within us. And his Spirit is invigorating our bodies, giving us the opportunity to express our love express our emotions even in worship. And not only is it holistic, that it includes our whole body, the amazing thing is that God meets us with his presence in worship. This is one of the most important things about why we would do this. You might be like, I don't really like music that much. It doesn't really do much for me. Okay, but would you like to be in the presence of God? That is one of the things that we find in true worship. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. All right, so that's what it is, but how do we do it? How do we worship through music? I'm gonna give you three things as we finish up here today to tell you how to do this. These aren't all of them, um, but it's three of the things that are important. First, we look to the God that we are worshiping. If you really want to experience worship, musical worship, the way you are are meant to experience it, the first thing that you need to do is you need to get your heart and your mind focused on God. Okay, that sometimes, that seems like kind of a simple thing to do, but that's something that we skip a lot. We forget when we come to a church service, hey, I really need to focus on the Lord. And it's easy to see why. You're coming in on a Sunday morning with all kinds of other things in your head. You've got things that you need to cover. Some of you have to go to work later in the day. You're still wondering about, you know, what you're eating for lunch. You've got this project at home. You've got this other stress with your family. You've got that to think about, this to think about. It's very easy to just come in and start into a worship service and go through a worship service and be thinking about all these other peripheral things that are clouding your mind, all the noise of life. It's very easy to get all the way through, walk out and be like, did I think about God today? The first thing we have to do is look to the God we're worshiping. We remind ourselves of who he is. It's the glorious God, the creator of the universe that we're coming to meet with. That's what you're doing when you're showing up to a worship service. Isaiah 12, 5 says this, Sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Do you realize what he's saying there? Where's his mindset? He's saying, I'm going to sing these praises. To who? To God. The almighty God. We don't gather together to worship ourselves. We look to the God we're worshiping. We worship the one true God. So if that's the case, if we're not here to worship ourselves, it's not about our preferences or our tastes. 
because he is the object of our worship. Therefore, we strive to worship in spirit and truth with our whole being. This is, this is why I personally, I prefer uh, in, a, in a worship set, a music set at church, I prefer worship sets to start with the songs about him. Because the, and the songs that talk about you and he, rather than the I and me songs. There's a place for the I and me songs, but I like to start us out with some you songs. Why? Because I'm wanting us to get our minds fixed on him. Who is he? That is, the, is where we want to start. Second, so the first thing we do is look to God. But second, here's the, and this one's a hard one too, we have to engage. This is what I mean by that. We engage in worship. We participate in worship. You may not know this, but worship can happen without you. You can show up into a worship service and people might go through that service worshiping God. It may be life-changing and everything else. You can be sitting right next to them. And when everybody's done and everybody goes home, they may have had the most impactful, worshipful experience of their lives. And you may not have felt a thing or done a thing or engaged in any way. You were right there, but you didn't worship. We have to engage ourselves. We have to participate. Even if the songs that are being sung are not the particular style or genre we prefer, we're still engaging with the church community to declare the truths of who God is and who we are in relation to him. We're not here to just watch other people worship. That happens a lot. People come to church, they're like, well, I guess I'll watch the worship team. You guys go, worship. I'm pretty good, that was a good one. All right, they did a good job. Two thumbs up, right? That's not what we're here to do. The, the worship zone doesn't start at the front of the imaginary stage. It's like, you guys are the audience and we are the worshipers. No, that's not how it's supposed to be. We are all supposed to engage. We join in with the congregation and glorify God. So we choose to engage our whole selves into worship. We offer ourselves to God. Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, heart, soul, mind, strength, all of you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You engage, you invest. And the Bible has given us great freedom in the expression of worship. But we have to choose to embrace the freedom that it's given us. And sometimes that gets a little uncomfortable. And I know it. But when, we, when it is an act of worship, we'll discover the presence of God, of the God that we're worshiping. Here's some of the things, and I'm just going to give you a quick little look at a few of them. We sing that's what it says in Psalm 100. We sing to worship. We dance. We read it in Psalm 150, right? We lift our hands, Psalm 134. We bow down, Psalm 95. We shout, Psalm 132. We clap on the two and the four, not the one and the three, people. We'll talk about that later. That's Psalm 47. 
We rejoice, Psalm 107. And that's not the only place that it's there. I'm just giving you a reference to go from. It's all through there. We engage our bodies and we express our love. Now, I do know that the worship environment has a lot to do this and how comfortable we are in doing this. But we'll talk more about that in two weeks. Sometimes we have to overcome the environment that we're in to just engage. Why? Because it's that sacrifice. It's that choice to say, I'm going to worship. It doesn't matter if the lights are bright and the gym is hot. I'm choosing to enter in and engage. Now, I know that even when I read that list, some of you might find some resistance in your hearts. Like, I'll do the singing part, but I'm sure not going to (laughs) clap. Or don't even let me see any dancing or whatever it might be. There may be some resistance in yourself. And when I start talking about expressing emotion, some people want to run for the door. That's where they start quoting one of the few Bible verses they know. Hey, everything should be done decently and in order. That is true. That is true. Or they'll say something like, yeah, I've I've been to some of those those passionate churches you're talking about. It's like a freak show. That's not what church is supposed to be. Also, I agree with you. I, I understand that. But listen, there's a difference between expressing emotion in worship and emotionalism, okay? Emotionalism is when someone someone is pursuing a feeling just for feeling's sake. I, I like to call them the overheated overcomers, okay? They're just, they just want to light themselves on fire and woo, here we go, Right? It's a self-indulgent desire if it's just emotionalism. You're just going for the feeling. It's not being focused on God. It's being focused on self. It's I want to sing and dance and jump and shout and do my, because I want to feel. And it's, it's all about me. But the flip side of that is this, stoicism. All right, stoicism refuses any sort of expression. I'm not going to show my cards. I will stay calm and reserved and controlled. My dad calls them the frozen chosen. (laughs) Right? The stoic doesn't want to express any sort of emotion, but instead always appear controlled and dignified. It's not being focused on God. It's also being focused on self. Do you see that? You can go to either extreme and really miss out on the whole point. What did I tell you about worship? Worship isn't about you. It's about him. And we can get caught, stuck in this this place. There is a time for silence and restraint before God as an act of worship. But there's also a time for music and expression before God as an act of worship. And we are called to engage in worship. We don't receive worship, we offer worship. And so the third thing then, the the final thing, not only do we look to God, not only do we engage, but then we practice. All of the spiritual practices require practice. It requires repetition. It requires doing it over and over. They're not just a one-time decision. You don't just hear a message be like this, like this and be like, yep, I'm going to worship from here on out, done. No, you have to do it. You actually have to do it. And, and I know sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't. I'll tell you the truth. There have been many, many times in my life 
where I have wasted opportunities to worship in a service. I've still sung the songs. Guys, I've led the songs. And at the end of a worship set, I realize, man, I didn't worship at all. I got through the set. We did the musical thing really well, but I I didn't engage. I didn't worship. And that's not God's fault. It's not the band's fault. Well, sometimes it's the band's fault. (laughs) No. where, Where is it really? The fault really lies within us. We're the ones that either present our bodies as a living sacrifice and worship the almighty God, or we don't. It falls on us. And as we practice, as we do it, we grow and improve in this way. It becomes easier. If you've never clapped your hands in a, a church service, the first couple times you start clapping your hands, you're like, I, I can do this. It's not, maybe not on time. That doesn't matter. Just do it. Or sing. It's like, oh, I don't sing. I don't sing. Whatever happens, I don't sing. Not even in the shower do I sing. God himself doesn't want to hear me sing. Yes, he does. In the Bible, it even says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. You don't have to be good at it. It doesn't matter if somebody appears better than you in that. You sing. And as you do it, as you engage, it gets easier. Pretty soon, you're like, yeah, I need more songs to clap. I want to dance. I want to shuffle my feet a little bit. I want to move. I can do this. I'm free. All right? You can grow in it. And when you arrive in a worship service and the music begins, I want you to consciously direct your heart toward God. That's how you start. Force yourself, if necessary, to sing and to praise and to rejoice. Do it simply out of an obedience to God's word that tells you to do it. Sometimes that's all we need. And it's amazing once we make that step, take that step, it's amazing how God meets us and how our emotions begin to be unlocked before God. God loves all of you guys, not just your head. He loves your heart too. And, and, and I also would just challenge you as you practice this to expand your vocabulary of expression. For some of you, it might mean singing for the first time. For others, it might mean lifting your hands. Ooh, that's like surrender. I'm not sure about that. Maybe it's kneeling down. Maybe it's clapping. Maybe it's dancing. We practice worship through music. That's what we're called to do. And as we practice worship through music, we'll find another avenue for God to flood us with his presence and goodness. And it happens to be one of the most beautiful ways that we can express our love to him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you For your word, Lord, I thank you for music. And I thank you for this tool that you have given us as people to express worship to you. Lord, I pray that you would make us a worshiping church. And this morning, as we've talked about worshiping through music, Lord, I pray that you'd make us a musical church. A church that is free to express ourselves, our devotion to you in this way. Lord, help us get over our own insecurities or our own concerns about ourselves, Lord, and let us turn our hearts and turn our minds to focus on you when we worship. And Lord, whether it's good or bad, we know, Lord, that that you just love it when your people come and enter into your presence and, and come with an expectation, a heart seeking you, looking for you. And Lord, we pray 
that as we draw near to you, as it says there in James, Lord, that you would draw near to us. Allow us to grow in this area. Allow us to be free and to express ourselves before the almighty living God who you are. We love you. We thank you. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to sing about it. In Jesus' name, amen.